Keila and Liv and I were going to Wrightsville Beach and uh, and getting there and thinking that um, there was this discussion. Uh, anyone who knows me probably knows that I love Jeeps. It goes all the way back to my stepdad <laughs> being into this. Um, he always restored old Jeeps, and just when we would get them running, he would sell it, and so we never enjoyed the actual restoration, like enjoying the fruits of the labor. Uh, and so I had this Jeep, and Keela uh, had her car, and the discussion was, which vehicle are we going to take to the beach? And I'm like, anybody in their right mind knows that you take a Jeep to the beach, you don't take an SUV to the beach. Like, this is the discussion that we're having. It's so hilarious now. Um, and so um, in 20 years of marriage, at some point, you should learn that you just go with what your your partner is saying. Uh, but no, not me. I'm just dying on the hill. And so we end up taking her car and we, we arrive at the beach and it's one of, it's one of those scenarios where you, where you have public parking and you walk forever carrying your items. And as we arrived at the beach, which beach is this? I'm going, this is, this is at Wrightsville beach in North Carolina. We'd never been there. And so we're like, we're all excited to try this new place. And so as we're as we're opening the back of of her car, you know, I raised the lift gate on it and all of a sudden I realize there are no chairs, no beach chairs. Beach chairs which I specifically <coughs> remember packing but in a different vehicle, the Jeep, the vehicle that we should have taken uh, to the beach <laughs> and all of a sudden in this moment I just I just get the only way to describe it was diarrhea of the mouth and emotions. Mm. And I just began, I, I told you, we were up. And, it's, and I just start. And, and it's one of those moments where it's the, the, the phone charger getting hung up and you want to remove. Now I'm, I'm taking the car apart uh, over we don't have beach chairs. Mm. And so Keela... Uh, having the infinite wisdom that she does, says, Liv and I are going to the beach. You can stand here and have your meltdown uh, without <laughs> us, but we've, we've, came, we've come to enjoy the beach. And so, so they walk on to the beach, and I'm still just, just flowing with, with words. I don't know where these words are coming from, but they are, and I'm so angry, and I'm just ready to, and you're probably thinking, Steve, have you seen a counselor at this point? And, and yes, I had, I was just starting to see a counselor, but all of this, all of this, uh, um, uh, not rage, but just pettiness is just coming out. Mm. And so, uh, so Keila and Liv walk onto the beach. Basically all I have to sit on now at the beach, all that any of the three of us have to sit on are these little flimsy beach towels. <laughs> and there's something for me about going anywhere and not being prepared. I don't know if that resonates with either of you. <laughs> yeah, we've um, we've talked at length about preparation, preparedness, feeling like you're prepared. That's a component of the perfectionism. That's a component of um, uh, worthiness, right? Of uh, even pressure, right? Because right? that the need to feel prepared is part of pressure that people feel. Um, and and I don't know of uh, I don't know about either of you or people in your circles, but I seem to be one of the few people in my circle at least who instead of drinking those moments away or self medicating those moments away, I journal them. Hmm. And not only do I journal them, but I begin to dissect them because for me it's having a level nine reaction to something that warranted maybe a two. Yeah. And so when those moments happen in my life, oh my gosh, I zero in on them. Like, what the hell is wrong with you that you just blew up over beach chairs? Wow. Yeah. And, and so, I, yeah, and go ahead. I, I just think it's, you know, impressive that you have the self-awareness at least to know, okay, that's over. But that was, as you said, a level nine reaction to a level two problem. Um, to use your number system. I feel like a lot of people yeah. don't, they, they don't think of it after it happens. They're just like, yeah, I got pretty angry. But I went and bought us more beach chairs, so and, it's and, fine. And, and there's something about it for me that's a discovery moment. Mm. 
Like those are the those are the moments that you really get an opportunity to reflect and and not to psychoanalyze, but to really process. And and so for me, the way it happens is that works its way out through. Um, I heard someone say a long time ago, "If you stay in your head, you're dead." Hmm. And and what I learned watching friends and listening to friends talk, I never learned that that there were ways uh, to silence that dialogue in your head. I didn't know, gosh, probably until my 40s, that that if you drink the right amount of alcohol, it will it will numb or it will silence those voices. Or that you can uh, take this herb or this medicine. When I say herb, I'm talking about weed. Uh, when, <laughs> Thanks, like, Steve. there there are these things that you can, yes that you can that you can suppress, that you can silence, that you can push it down, or or it'll help you cope. And for me, it didn't come from a place of oh, the Bible says alcohol is wrong because the Bible doesn't say it. Just says. Anything in excess is wrong. Uh, Instagram could be in excess. Another conversation. But so for me, ha- knowing that I had family members uh, who had addictive personalities or or this addictive uh, gene, yeah. I was always afraid that if I ever tried it, that I would become addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And so what it did was it kept me at arm's length from it. Yeah. I want to... Um kind of circle back to something that you said earlier in one of the earlier episodes, I guess, Um, because you talked about checking the box of giving grace. And I feel like this kind of beach chair moment brings up this idea, especially or very prevalent in kind of religious church culture, which is you just need to give them grace. You just need to, like, mm. it's okay. And it's kind of used as this, like, the idea of grace being used as a sweeping things under the rug excuse oh, for, wow. n- for no accountability and an excuse to not get angry, which, and that's something I've struggled with before, is that, like, anger, they, they always use that verse that's, like, be slow to speak or quick to listen slow to speak slow to anger whatever verse that is um but also what happens when you don't feel your anger because you had every right to be angry when you found out that your family was hiding this information from you and when you found out that your biological dad placed one dollar of inheritance for you you know and I feel like right. that's and it, coming up. And what's interesting is, is it, it didn't say, don't be angry. It said, be slow to anger. It didn't say, suppress the anger. Yeah. It said, yeah. be slow to anger. So anger is okay. And it wasn't until uh, there was this, I think there was this thought in the back of my mind over this 10 or 15 year period of physician heal thyself type thinking. Mm. And so I never would go for counseling. I never would go... Uh, and talk to someone about it. And it wasn't until the first time I shared the story of the inheritance and and finding out about my dad that the counselor looked at me and said, you realize you just told this like it was a movie that you watched? Like you mm-hmm. had no emotions when you told it. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, you you never talk about the emotions that you felt. And I said, well, I didn't feel anything. Mm. Because I thought, that the respectful thing to do, and, and to your point, Molly, of sweeping it under the rug, yeah. I thought the respectful thing to do was, thank you, sir, may I have another? Thank you, mm-hmm. sir, may I? Like, I'm just supposed to roll with it. And I said, what good would it do for me to get emotional about it? And, and the counselor said, I didn't say get emotional, but you said you had no emotions through it. And so what I had done was, I wasn't slow to anger. I was suppressing. Yeah. I was refusing the anger. Yeah. And and I think I think we, you know, in classes uh, or workshops that I'll do um, when I'm when I'm talking with someone and I'll say when someone's emotional, what comes to mind? 
And usually the thought is out of control, crying, mm-hmm. anger. But no one ever says happiness. No one ever says joy. No one ever says excitement when I say emotional. And I think the piece is, is often, you know, it's that pendulum swing. It's we, we know we can't control the emotions, so we just suppress them, sweep them under the rug, deny them ever coming out. And, and when you do that, you end up at Wrightsville Beach with no beach chairs, <laughs> screaming, you know, ha! Yeah. Uh, like you would, if somebody was driving by, they would have thought I just got a $500 parking ticket or that my vehicle had been broken into. No, I simply forgot beach chairs. <laughs> yeah. When you talk about the inner dialogue and some people cope with it, by drinking or other forms of self-medication you happen to deal with it with journaling I also happen to deal with it with journaling and aggressive elliptical usage Uh, (laughs) and also eating tubs of ice cream sometimes that was last year thank you (laughs) 2020 was tough on all of us he's a new trend now Uh, (laughs) that's awesome what do you 2021 it was a pandemic yeah yeah well about that inner dialogue I mean I I think it's a universal experience. Why do you think that it is so intense and why it does tend to be negative in many cases and why we have a hard time um, not believing everything we think, if that makes sense? Yeah, like it's always interesting to me, you know, when I'm talking with folks um, and and we're having these conversations, whether it's one-on-one or in group settings, I don't know out of 20 years of conversations, however many hours that would be. So let's say it's been a thousand hours. It's been well beyond that. But in a thousand hours of conversations or a thousand conversations, less than 10 of them have I found anyone whose inner dialogue was positive. Mm. Uplifting. It was, oh, my inner dialogue says, oh, look how nice you look today. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I bet they were so impressed with your interview. Yeah, do we have some narcissism? Yeah, there's people who, who have that. But they're the exception, it seems like, not the norm, that our inner dialogue is always critical. It's always, why didn't you say this? Or why didn't you do this? Even even setting up, you know, uh, for these conversations, the the dialogue that I would have with myself would be so critical of, you need to do this better. You should approach this different. And so it's always interesting to me that that is the inner dialogue. Um, and it's interesting how people respond to it differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think for me, and, and again, not having had conversations with people um, in abundance from different walks or different uh, backgrounds, I think that for people of faith uh, or people with similar backgrounds uh, to myself, it came from the point of um, uh, in church life, how we define who mankind is at his at his natural state. Mm. Yeah. Right. And so it would be the question of um, if um, and, and I want to. I want to proceed cautiously and, and, and with grace through this. But my understanding growing up was at your core, you are evil or you yeah. are broken yeah. or you are bad. Yep. Okay. Or lazy and, or incompetent. Yes. Or you yeah, are you even, even the old, <laughs> the old hymns of the church. He saved a wretch like me. Wretch, W-R-E-T-C-H. I'm no good. I'm not worthy, right? And um, and so as I as I started pushing into these moments and saying, okay, if I identify as a follower of Christ, who is the manifestation, the physical manifestation of this of this divine being of this Creator, right? What was his take on it? <clears throat> and so what I what I saw in, in tracing, kind of backtracking through this is where do we where do we base that from? What are, what's the origin of that? 
And what I landed at was everyone was saying, well, when Adam screwed the pooch and ate the apple in the Garden of Eden, everything went back to, well, that's where where it all goes back to. Mm. And so that happens in the ancient text in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, the very first book. It's the, it's the beginning, the origins of everything, right? But that story happens at Genesis 3. Mm. And if I'm operating off the, um, the, the numerical system that I'm familiar with, before 3, there's 2 and 1. 2 and 1, okay? So what, what happens before Genesis 3? And I, and I land at Genesis 1, where at the end of the creation story, regardless of where you land on it, if you're going to use Genesis 3, in Genesis 1, at the end of the creation story, the creator looks at his creation and says, it is good, it is very good. And so it was so interesting to me that the foundation of my faith had been based on... Yeah. Not the first chapter, not the very beginning, but the point of Genesis 3. And so we start not at square one, we start at square three, and it becomes everything that creates security. Hey, you're miserable, you're horrible, and that's why you need to come into the box with the steeple and check Mm -hmm. these boxes every week. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we're not, we're not embracing this faith or this way of life be, so that we're connected with the Creator. We're doing it to check boxes, one of which happens to be, you're horrible, you're miserable. And I'm like, is this, is this a way of life? Is this a, is this a faith or is this a gym membership? You need this gym membership. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I if I can jump in here, it's yeah. I can't I can't help but notice, uh, yeah, the the similarities. And again, I go back to when did we start introducing the language of economics or the the way that we operate in an economy into the the space of religion and faith and spirituality? Because it's exactly as you're saying. There, uh, whether, like I said, whether it's intentional or not is not up for me to judge. But when you're introducing people to a, a line of, um, when you're introducing people to faith and spirituality and the practices of uh, following Christ, it's just interesting to me to start with, you have this problem because at your very core, you are evil and bad. Let us help you solve that problem by committing a couple hours every Sunday to coming to our specific, not not the one across the street, not the one down the street, right. not the one two counties over, but ours. And we're going to help you fix your problem, right? And that's that's how you would sell a, a, a refrigerator, a microwave, a you name it. It's like, hey, without, you know, what, are you tired of your food getting cold all the time? Are you tired of your food getting hot all the time? Right. Come on down to Sears Roebuck and, and we'll... <laughs> You know, and it's and 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 LG yeah. isn't telling you that you need a fridge. LG is telling you that you need their fridge. Yeah, and that's like, you know, they would never make any money if they said like, uh, yeah, just buy non-perishables. Your life will be yes. a lot easier, and you'll save money on your power bill, right? Mm. We we're not getting the the faith message that at at our most basic we are good, and we have to unlearn some tendencies that get in the way of that. But at the end of the day, it's all good. Well, and so it's, so imagine now I'm standing on the side of the, of the street having this meltdown (laughs) and my wife and daughter are gone out of sight and I'm just fuming. And it's, it has nothing to do with the North Carolina sun in the middle of July beating down on me. It's (laughs) internal and I get there, and I spread out this little dinky beach, beach towel, and I sit there in the sand. But by God, I'll tell you what I didn't forget was my journal. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've got yeah. my handy-dandy journal, and I pull it out, and I start just unloading 
on whoever this great being in the sky is. I'm like, Jehovah, Allah, God, Jesus, whoever you are. And I unload, you mother this. And I'm talking expletive, just curse. I'm just letting you SOB. What kind of creator lets a kid at nine years old miss Little League championships? And I checked this box and I checked this box. And, and I said my prayers and took my vitamins and ate my Wheaties. And this is where we get. And I'm just flipping the whoever this being is, wherever you are, flipping, just double bird, right? Just <laughs> giving it, and, and you're, you can't see us right now, but, but I've got both of them up, right? And I'm just, uh, I mean, I've got it all. I'm on a roll in my journal. And in that moment, I swear what I'm expecting is a lightning bolt because that's, that's what you're told is, you... You get you touch that box and you yeah. get struck dead. That's, that's blasphemy. That is yeah. the worst that's blasphemy. thing you can do. Right? Like you just created the ultimate act. There you're you cross the line of the point of no return. You're donezo. <laughs> this Stick is a fork it. in him. Like this is the end. <laughs> He's done. As we know it. Don't be surprised. <laughs> lightning bolt on Wrightsville Beach, man, struck by a random <laughs> act of lightning, and then they find his journal, what the crisp edges are left. Oh. <laughs> But that isn't what happened. What happened was the creator shows up in a way that I've never experienced. Now, I have to give a caveat here. I grew up, as I said earlier, in a Pentecostal church. And when you grow up in a Pentecostal church, you see a lot of strange things. Like you're, you don't bring friends to church with you on Sunday nights because on Sunday nights somebody may be running a lap around the church because God is moving in the service, right? Like people may be passing out. If you've ever seen uh, Benny Hinn, and I didn't go to Benny Hinn's church, but people are passing out and just fainting. Like it's those moments. And you you put a little cloth over them, uh, a modesty cloth, so that nobody sees up uh, Sister Wynn's skirt. Uh, when she passes out in the spirit because now she's laying down and they dole. So I've seen, like, I've seen those things. Like, I've seen those types of manifestations, right? I've seen the people speaking in tongues. I've seen that, right? And now this is where a lot of people just shut their, their device off and they are like, all right, I can't listen to this guy anymore, <laughs> and, right? And this isn't, but in, well, this isn't like bring out the snakes, it's time to like do the snake handling no, church. No, we were we were not snake handling. They were thirty minutes up the road. No lie. <laughs> All the ones featured on twenty twenty are literally the next county over. We did not handle the rattlesnakes. And and too, like this is so my perspective. Someone not who did not come up in the church, but my understanding of that as an outsider is the the explanation given is that is the Holy Spirit moving through someone. They are having a divine experience yes. as they're interacting with um, this sermon. This is this is absolutely anything that you would have read in the Old Testament that sounded really strange, a burning bush and a voice coming from it. It's a, um, it's an axe head floating and all of those things. Like, yeah, those guys didn't have anything on the Pentecostal church in Tazewell, Virginia. Like that was, uh, those were the, spe- and so, so I've had those experiences. Yeah. And those were, those were encounters with that, with that God creator character uh, that I described who's sitting on a throne and ready to play your most embarrassing moments on the big screen uh, that's waiting, got the lightning bolt in hand, ready to throw it down. Like that was, that was the God that I knew the first 40 years. But in this one, all of a sudden, it feels like, it feels like, um, uh, trying to give you uh, the metaphor that works for, with your generation, uh, Bob Saget on Fuller House, like, ah, Dad puts his arm around you, and this is a moment, DJ, where you're going to learn, right? I didn't watch Full House, but I have an 11 year old daughter, and and so I know Fuller House, but it was the moment of a father, like, now, now we can talk, mm-hmm. right? And so in this moment. I feel like this creator of galaxies and, and the Milky Way and this solar system, 
I feel like all of a sudden he just pulled up because he brought his beach chair. He showed up and pulled up a beach <laughs> chair beside of me and was like, so, so now we can talk. In a moment, in, in what sounds like a pretty low point for you in that moment. I mean, a lot of things built up to it, but the beach chair is tipped it over the edge. You are, you are um, almost expecting wrath and consequence but instead you're met with a feeling of consolation and love and comfort. Yes, and yes, and yes. Mm. It was, it wasn't, you've pleased me, and now now you get to come into the living room next to Dad's easy chair. It was, mm. so now you're talking to me through your heart, not your head. Mm. Right? And in that moment, and I get, like, I, I, the emotions are still just as real today as they were that day sitting on the beach. Yeah. It was in that moment that I said, hey, whoever you are and whoever you're showing up as right now, if, if there's something more to this than what I saw these first 40 years that led me to this moment— Right. And again, it's not it's not either or. I'm not saying I'm going to toss those 40 years out. They were meaningless. But now I'm in I'm encountering this father creator that I've never encountered before. This this different side um, that all of a sudden he's not angry if I walk into the living room. He wants to spend time with me. He wants me to speak from my heart. Now, all of a sudden I get to pull up. And, and be in the living room with him, not I'm afraid to go in there and tell him that I just broke a window, right? Because I hadn't even broken a window, and I was still getting yelled at. Hmm. Now I can come in and just be real and say this. And in that moment, sitting there on Wrightsville Beach, I said, if there's something more to this than what I saw in the first 40 years, and you're willing to show it to me, I will bankrupt my family, and I've since changed the language, but it, the original language in, was, in that was, <laughs> I will bankrupt my family. Because bankrupt is like, well, you're saying you're going to like manipulate me into like being broke? Uh, I can't pay the bills or put, you know, cleats on my kid for the softball game that we're attending because we're missing church? Um, it was a first, it was a solid first draft though. Yes, it was, a, it was my first rough draft where I said, I will bankrupt everything. I'm all in if you'll reveal that to me. If you will show me that path, I'll 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 go broke for you. Yeah. Before I was like I'll go I'll go ten percent with you, but you don't ask for the other ninety percent because I don't trust you. You you're gonna you're gonna do something shady to me because that's that's what I had seen, and all of a sudden this moment happens, and there begins the journey of head and heart, where he doesn't just want the head the logic that comes up with all comes up with all the boxes to check and how to move this through then, the flow yes chart. yes like this wasn't about some escape room right this wasn't about uh and when i say escape room i had i had watched so many friends and family live a faith that was only about the great escape whenever that's going to happen where we all get to go to heaven and get the mansion and the the crownless jewel or the jewel full of crowns or the crowns full of jewels. Like those, it wasn't about that anymore, but it was about a full and present life here today. Yeah, it makes me think of um, like one of our friends we were having a conversation with um, talked about like on earth as it is in heaven and the idea of like you know heaven on earth and that we shouldn't be so focused on um yeah on the good place or the bad place but what we can do to make earth a good place (laughs) well and and so think about that like some of the worst when i say the worst offenders i think some of the most um detached 
Like when I think of, um, and I kind of I kind of fall in the middle on on a lot of topics. Like you're not going to find me over here on the far left. You're not going to find me on the far right. Like I kind of I'm this on this topic and I'm this on this one. But I think about how is it that people who who associate themselves as in close relationship with the Creator can often be the most clueless or detached. I don't even like clueless because that that makes them sound ignorant, and I don't I don't mean it that way. Are the most detached when it comes to sustainability, mm. right? And and it and I think it's because the focus isn't on stewardship and the Creator in creation. It's about the great escape. Well, I don't I don't care if I emit carbon here because I'm I'm getting the heck out of here. I'm going to the uh, to the to the happy arches in the sky where I'm going to have you yeah. know and so burn the place down and I'm going what like yeah yeah it's like you're in um, close relationship with the creator yeah yeah it kind of goes back to the idea that like I heard a lot growing up too is that um you shouldn't be like of the world and so and that, like, you know, this world is not made for us or something weird like that. Yeah, like, this is temporary. Yeah, which, like, like okay. This is temporary, yes. so don't get attached here. Don't don't invest too much here. Right, but yeah. it's used as, like, an excuse to, to just, like, shut out people to be, like, exclusive. And to, as an excuse to be, like, pretend things aren't happening or like that you're not responsible to help yeah if something's going wrong or that, well yeah. and 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 some of the some of the language that i heard growing up was whereas we're we're pilgrims and we're just passing through hmm. right mm-hmm. but if you've ever done any type of hiking or camping which which i think um I'm kind of a poser on that. Like I'm, <laughs> like I have I have the stickers and the gear for things that I don't really am not uh, like I don't do. I haven't hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, but I have an Appalachian Trail sticker because nice. I like gear and stuff, right? But uh, but anybody who knows anything about uh, pilgrims is they leave no trace. Like, hey, I want to leave this place better than I found it. And just because it's not my final destination doesn't mean I'm going to burn it down. Like, I want right. to leave it for whoever's coming in behind me. Gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah. if we hold up <laughs> the idea of uh, being transitory as living beings on Earth with the end goal of arriving at the good place, right? I mean, saying that we shouldn't be of this world and don't get too attached is like saying, hey, as long as you start in Alabama and you end up in Maine, and you get to Maine, then feel free to leave as much styrofoam, <laughs> leave your styrofoam cooler yeah, all Yeah, leave your campfire burning, on the, on the leave Appalachian your trash trail. behind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But, but I can yeah. guarantee you that some of my friends in the Bible Belt who are avid hunters and, and fisher fishermen and, and who enjoy the outdoors, they would be the first ones to, to wreak havoc on the people who who leave a destructive path, but yet we we lose it somewhere in our in our spiritual life when it jumps to the other side. And I know that that's that's kind of muddying the waters, but I just see I see as a people uh, that that it's easy for us to become uh, hypocritical where we we espouse these things in one area of our life, but we don't espouse them in the other. Mm. And so I won't I won't go real deep on that, but. Um, but going through that and, and saying, okay, I think, I think God cares more about hearing from my heart than he does my head. And we all know what happens when you stay in your head, right? Like we talked about that. Uh, but I think what happens is, is I know for me, um, it felt like out of the, the rejection of my, my biological dad, uh, not having the the affirmation that I craved or felt that I needed from my stepdad, that rejection began to breed an obsession. And so what I saw was I began to I began to obsess on pleasing 
any father figures in my life, whether they were supervisors at work, whether they were mentors in my life. And so that, that obsession began, how can I please this person? And all that did was create longer checklists, more boxes to check, more pages, yep. only to, I could have had the most affirming, uh, encouraging mentors in my life, but it would have never been enough because I was obsessed by it. Right. And so Keela will tell you, look, his love language is you got to give him, you know, he needs the affirmation. <laughs> oh yeah. Words of affirmation like that, that, uh, that's what fires me up. And so, um, but I, I can't help but think so many times, whether it's been, uh, faculty at a performing arts conservatory, whether it's been parents, whether it's been partners, um, that when they've experienced that rejection, they, this obsession happens and it's a bottomless pit. And I think if you can become aware of that, man, I'm really finding myself trying to fill this bottomless bucket, uh, an, you know, this need. Uh, I think when, when we can dial into that, um, we create more realistic needs and expectations for those in our life around us. Mm-hmm. And to tie it back to, uh, we touched briefly on the current situation with mainstream education right is like uh, it's a very simple input output on the surface right if you put this in you get this out and so folks who are yes. more prone to this obsessive um folks who are more prone to that kind of obsessive pleasing behavior you're describing and i'm one of them is okay if i put this in i get this out so if i'm not getting out what i want that means i need to put either something different or something more in which usually translates into I need to work harder. I need to do X more than Y. I need to. Like it's your fault. Yeah. It, it's, it must be me. It's because I'm not making my bed in the morning or I'm not exercising every day or I'm not getting up early enough. So it's my problem. So I'm going to, I'm going to do something differently in the hopes of getting out what I, what I need, whether that's words of affirmation or otherwise. And you start to drive yourself crazy because even oh, though yeah. you feel like you're doing 120% all the time, you're still not getting out what you want. And it was and, never about that in the first place. And, and what's hilarious to me, I love that you said 120% because I'll work with, um, so there's, there's this one specific uh, art school at, at School of the Arts, and it's called Design and Production. And both of you are familiar with it, but it's, um, they are the, the tradespersons, if you will, the tradespeople of 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 the performing arts in 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 the theater spaces and now even into the entertainment industry whether it's theme parks or yeah uh, cruise amazing. ships or anything yeah yeah and so they're like they're like they have the technical trade whether it's scene design uh scenic carpentry um anything along those lines wig and makeup costume design and and listening to them because there's this there's this uh production piece to it right like we got to get the product done. We got to do this, and and I will hear them describe how they gave 120 percent. And I think this this goes back to um, that that need to check the boxes and do more and be more. And I've said to them, "What does it look like if I give you 120 percent of my blueberry pie?" <laughs> and we get silence because. Especially if they if they're anything on on the spreadsheets or the Gantt charts, they're trying to figure out how do I get 120 hours out of a day or 120 percent of the of, of a 24 hour day, right? And so what happens is is we know that you can't give 120 percent of a blueberry pie. There's only 100 percent. But there's something about today's culture and especially the 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 professions that that I've been working with. Uh, you know, over the past decade is they want, it's the badge of courage to one-up the other person. Well, you gave 100%, I gave 110%. Why are you not giving 110%, right? And I watched that spill over into their relationships where all of a sudden from my partner, I'm giving 110% into this relationship or I gave my 50% and, and all of a sudden we're talking about things like spirituality 
in, in human relationships and in emotions. And, and all of a sudden we're putting percentages and these numbers on them, these, these mm-hmm. dollars and the, this economy that you're talking about. We put it on there. And I said to them, I, I had somebody saying, well, I'm always giving, I feel like I'm doing my 50% in the relationship, but they're not giving their 50%. And I said, let me give you a little piece of advice. You ever get beyond two or three years into a relationship where you're just giving 50%, you're going to be in the weeds really quick. Yeah. Well, what do you What do you mean by that? And I said, the moment that I'm walking through my house, and I'm guilty of this, right? And I'm telling on myself, and so if Keela ever listens to this, I'm... <laughs> I'm toast because she'll she'll be able to use it and say, yeah, remember what you said on, on the invitation <laughs> podcast. And blah. But I go, wait a minute. I, I've done my part of cleaning up the kitchen. I washed the dishes, but she didn't pick up after herself. I did my 50%. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a contentious relationship if it even continues into a relationship because relationships require 100% from me and 100% from my partner. And the moment that I'm only going 50% or 49.9%, this thing gets, uh, gets fuzzy really quick. And so, so when I, I, would en- I would encourage folks, hey, leave the percentages to calculus, leave the percentages to algebra, leave them to the fraction folks. Uh, but when it comes to things like spirituality and, and those things, be what you can be, and that's all you can be. Um, but but rejection breeds obsession, and you'll try to give 200% of a blueberry pie, and that means a second blueberry pie. Yeah, that's you're not, just stealing pie at that point. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a tricky piece. Yeah, and this idea of... Um, the anecdote you're using is uh, romantic relationships, right? Someone you're partnered with romantically, but I think right. it carries into all kinds, whether that's with family, oh, with community, uh, in the workplace. Um, yeah. And Molly, you have something that you say often that I really love about it's uh, it's not 50-50. Uh, there's, like, there's an ebb and flow and a give and take. Oh, that like some... Well, I feel like actually Steve told me this. <laughs> um, that sometimes my 100% is less than Trent's 100% or Mm. some days and seasons of life Steve's going through it so his 100% is way lower than Keela's 100% yeah is that what you wanted me to say (laughs) I I think that's brilliant and then there's something else that you say too about balance oh well that balance is dynamic and so wow yeah. I've never heard that. Which, That's good. Well, can you tell us more about? That? Yeah, well, expand on that. Yeah. Does this make sense right now? I don't know. Okay. Well, for those of you who don't know, which I guess we didn't really say that at the beginning, that I am in the contemporary dance like field. I trained and danced my pretty much my whole life. Um, so when we talk about balance, one of the things that like helped me the most is when a professor of mine talked about how balance is dynamic and that when you're actually, you know, in dance, when you're at the bar in ballet and you're balancing, previously I had always tried, you know, like to be to be still, like you're trying to balance. It's that moment where you're, everything's like perfectly aligned. But um, once I heard that, that this balance, this idea of balance being dynamic and that you're constantly moving, um, it gives you a little more space to let what is natural and like um, organic be. So even if you just stand on one foot, you'll notice that your foot and ankle starts to move to adjust and accommodate how your balance shifted because you were on two feet and now you're on one. Um, So a lot of people talk about balance in life, about like, oh, it's just about balance. It's all about balance. But what they don't account for is that part of balance is when you're a little bit too far forward, when you're a little bit too far back, 
And balance is also when you hit your center and you're, you know, perfectly aligned. So when you talk about spirituality or religion um, or even just anything in life, balance is this dynamic game, essentially, of sometimes you're a little too far on the, like, box-checking, judgmental side. Sometimes you're a little too, like... A little bit too crazy like there's not enough structure in you know I'm oh, sorry there like sometimes you're a little bit on the other end of things maybe you're not giving yourself enough structure for work or whatever it is and then sometimes you find yourself perfectly um, aligned and those are those are the moments that are very brief but the too far forward, too far back is also part of balance. That's beautiful. I, don't know if that makes I, sense. Re- I remember. <laughs> I think I remember the day that you came into the office. Uh, I remember the season that you were in, and, and you came in and you shared that uh, from your dance faculty. And when you said that, it was like fireworks going off in my brain. Like, oh my gosh, the difference between. And when you say dynamic. What we're talking about is the difference between being static, which is fixed, yeah. right? Like this, and it's rigid. Mm-hmm. And the moment, yeah. like I think of anything, even in engineering or in construction, the moment that things are that rigid, they they don't withstand earthquakes. They don't withstand mm-hmm. high winds. They don't withstand, there has to be that given, that flexibility in it. That And it's, and it's the dynamic, like, right? It, it's yeah. got to... I think what happens is there's there's these moments like even like yesterday we took uh, Liv and and her cousins our nephews uh, to a theme park and I mean the weather was absolutely gorgeous and sometimes it's easy in the human brain where we just go oh I wish I could capture this moment we'll never have another moment like this mm-hmm. and all of a sudden instead of just being present in the moment. Yeah. And taking a deep breath and smelling, hey, what's the smell going on? Right? Oh, that's funnel cake I smell. Oh, too bad I'm gluten-free. <laughs> like, oh, like this is perfect. And like, and instead of just being present and soaking up that moment, which is what, which is what, what you're talking about, right? Like that yeah. dynamic. Okay, well, now the kid's screaming and somebody just jumped in front of us in line, <laughs> right? But just allowing that and not being so rigid with these expectations, right? Yeah. And I think that's, I, I blame so much of this on, um, and it's just a byproduct, but social media, right? Let me Photoshop the power lines out of the photo because that would not make it perfect. <laughs> no, the power lines are what, you know? Uh, we, we, we have a, a mutual friend who's an editor in LA and she loves power lines in photos and power lines drive me nuts. You know, in in photos, I don't know how I got off on power lines, but it's just this this moment of of being dynamic versus rigid. That balance isn't. I have a perfect routine. I do X, yeah. Y, and Z every day. I check because that's box checking. Yeah. yeah, which I think like gives thinking about it that way gives people a little more room for grace with themselves. Because I think oh yeah, especially right now, people talk about balance in terms of like you know, work-life balance and are you getting to your kid's softball game and you're doing the most at work and you're, you know, X, Y, Z. So it gives space for sometimes you don't make it to the softball game and that's you trying to balance. And sometimes you can get, you know, a home-cooked meal three days in a row and then you have one night of takeout and that's you trying to balance everything. Yeah. And when we talk about Um, when we talk about spaces that really value a performance culture, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's a business or uh, a performance arts conservatory, which will remain unnamed. Yeah. (laughs) We've named it like five times. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Go We'll unname it again. (laughs) He's going to go back and bleep it out. Yeah. But when we're in a performance setting and the messaging that's coming down from those with more power over the folks who are expected to perform 
I, I just always think it's interesting to question, like, in any space where there's emphasis on performance, who is my performance benefiting? If I am performing mm. at my top, my peak, who is that benefiting? Mm. Right? Because I think in a lot of um, workplaces right now, this message of optimization and performance are constantly being driven home and everything is building toward like everything. The most important thing is performance. Right. And this is not me saying, Hey, everybody just slack off and uh, don't do your best, but just a thoughtful question of who is it really benefiting? Like if you're Mm. killing yourself pulling 80 hour work weeks every week, but not getting any recognition for it and not really gaining anything from it, but you get a pat on the head from your boss, right? Then who, who is that benefiting? And when I think that can easily carry over into, into spaces of faith, right? Where if you're checking all these boxes, you're doing the most, you're at youth group every night, you're the leader of the praise band, etc. If you're getting something out of that, amazing. And if that's helping you find your community, amazing. But if you're doing all of those things. Because you don't want to burn in the bad place. <laughs> right. And you're just burning yourself out in the process. Maybe take a look at that. I have to admit right now that I'm a little bit speechless. And I just got sidetracked for a split second at the end of your sentence there. Because Trent's church vernacular game has soared in the past couple of months. And I don't. I'm a little. I'm a little thrown off right now because I'm like, has he been sandbagging me for the past seven years, eight years? <laughs> and he's had church vernacular in his hip pocket and he kept it in secret from me. Or did church go to like some mega church conference and brush up on all the vernacular? <laughs> like he read a couple of books. He he got caught up on on he all went, the hip. Yeah, he went culture. to online. um Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the church. What's the church? Elevation. He went to online yes. Elevation Church. He went to, like, he, he heard a couple of Furtick messages, and I'm not I'm not hating on Furtick or Elevation, but, like, like he's really, like, I feel like that he spent four years at a Christian liberal arts college before he came to School of the Arts. He put it away in the file cabinet and then pulled that folder out uh, for our conversations here because, man, like, you just dropped praise band leader, you just dropped um, youth group leader. Like, I'm impressed, Trent. Like, this is... Well, all, all I have to say for myself is that <laughs> I am I am certainly an unchurched outsider. Yeah. Um, I am but an observer, but I think I'm a pretty careful observer. Listen, so, and, and part of this... <laughs> well, and part of this, like, the, the reason that, that, that I'm joking with you about it is I remember the day, and I don't know if you and Molly were were a couple at this point, but it was the day Keela and Liv were out of town, and I thought, you know, I could, I had really been going through kind of this reset moment in my face, like of, of going, okay, uh, I've had a lot of thoughts that, that have evolved over these past few years, and I needed a day to just do this brain dump, and so, I don't. Were you guys a couple by that point? Yeah. This you were going to do pull ups guys... at Washington Park. Oh yeah. 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 This was. Yeah, this I was, think I was. This wasn't too long ago. No, but I think I was home or something. Yeah, you. Yeah, were you had ago. like you yeah. were out of town too, and so yeah. I'm like, so uh, Trent, I passed Trent, and I'm like, I'm on, I'm focused right now. <laughs> I'm always ADD. Right now, I am focused, and I'm spending six hours on the eight foot dry race board and I'm going to get all of this out of my head. And I'm like, you're more than welcome to come. And, but, but I've got to focus on this. And Trent's like, geez, dude, like ease up. Like I just, I'm saying hi. And I'm like, no, you can come and hang out. We'll do lunch. And so Trent comes in and what I, like one of the things about this was I had never unpacked this uh, like that deep with a person, you know, who didn't grow up in the church. And you had so many interesting observations, and that was kind of one of the starting points, at least on mine and your side of this conversation, that that you were asking questions from the unchurched, like, hey, what does it mean when somebody does this? And like when I got to unpack all that on the board, 
it was uh, really helpful. So yeah, kudos on the uh, on the vernacular <laughs> that you've uh, that you brought to the conversation. I like to think that I'm a lifelong learner. <laughs> but no, that was that was a, an amazing day, and I am very happy we spent that time together. And I also have like the giant uh, whiteboard saved as a photo on my computer desktop that we're using to record this right now. It's not set well, as my desktop, but the file is on my desktop. Thank you for being honest because you have we gotten have. struck by lightning when this was over. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. We should have um, checked, looked at that whiteboard prior to doing this, but... Yeah, maybe before tomorrow. Yeah. Listen, I've got <laughs> a, I've got about a six-foot piece of butcher paper laying in the floor behind me because <laughs> I just, I get on these and I just got to get it out. And I'm like, hey, did we did we did we cover this piece? And I'll run out and look at the butcher paper and and if you run back see in. Steve's butcher pe- paper. Check out yeah the show yeah. notes. Yep. We'll have show notes. Hello, nice. Um, well, I want. I, it feels like we're maybe getting to the end of this part of our time, but I want it. I want to circle back to after that moment on the beach. Yep. A feeling of immense comfort and love um, of a divine nature and this shift you start to undergo away from in your own head, check the boxes, this procedural faith. I don't think those are my words. I've I've heard them before. Procedural faith. And more into um, the heart and things that you can't put words to or quantify. Can you talk about how that started to work on your life? When you made that offer of, you know what, I will go bankrupt if it means that I get to see more yeah. of this. Well, how, and, how did and that start so to I work had, on you? I had become, uh, to use some of Molly's language on the 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 dynamic and static, um, this fixed place. Like when when you've created your your um, your descriptor list, like you've got the Wikipedia page on who God is. And yeah. likes, or it's his dating profile, right? Like you'll people in the youth youth group used to say, "Well, I'm dating Jesus right now," and it was really their way of <laughs> um, not dating the guy that they didn't like. But man, if the hot guy came along, they dropped Jesus, uh, like you, you know. Anyway, uh, and so on the Jesus profile, his likes and dislikes, man, yeah. My again, is that what someone said All to you that ghoulish. they were? <laughs> they were yes. dating Jesus. Are you yes. serious? That's Ooh, a common Steve, thing. Sorry, dating Jesus right now. <laughs> yes. Well, Molly, I wasn't. Nobody ever told me that. Yeah, sure. Right. Right. Like, oh, that's, I'm dating I was, Jesus that's what I was right. Asking. <laughs> I, I'm taking a year dating Jesus, and then like six months later, the girl that I liked would be like going out with somebody. I'm like, what happened to Jesus? Is this? Oh, this is Jesus. And you recall you were mispronouncing his name as Jesus. Oh, got it. Okay. No, that's a common one. And it's so interesting how so many people, well, we got everything we needed out of the relationship. So now me and Jesus are not exclusive. I can see other people. Yeah. That, that, but that is a real thing in Christian culture. Oh my um, gosh. But to but to Trent's point, what happened was I had I had become so rigid based off I know this and this and this and I know this. And out out of just using the descriptors, while no, I hadn't put him in a box or put God, this creator, in box. And I don't even like using, I don't even like using he, because again, if God is bigger than than mankind, yeah. he's bigger than gender, and 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 so so I've been trying to just say God or creator, and I, and I even do that to say, let me go on a, a quick tangent here. God has this association with um, God's conservative and he's Republican. And so I don't even like using God because of how we've hijacked uh, that name. Um, And so for me, this became about uh, loosening and not being so rigid, not not waffling in my faith. It was anything but waffling in my faith, but it was I'm going to lean into the unknown uh, piece of this and the language that evolved from that after after talking with. Uh, different people in this space was um, was was head and heart, and so head was the checkbox, head was spreadsheet, head was um, this doesn't make sense. Uh, it has to make logical sense. Heart was the unknown. Heart was the mystic, um, the mystical, the magical, the spiritual piece, like the things that we can't explain. 
And so what I did was, because I had become so rigid, uh, it was this, you know what? I have I've become so rigid that, that I feel stagnant. Stagnant meaning there's no life flowing through this relationship anymore. And so just out of my own simplicity or ignorance, whatever you want to call it, my thought was I will begin... Uh, it's almost like a person trying to start an exercise regimen. What I will do is, is I will just start some type of movement. And the movement was I will start... I didn't know what I was leaning into. And I said, hey, if you'll give me the vision, the dream, whatever it is, I promise to do it. I hadn't dreamt, I hadn't imagined, I hadn't done any of that in so long that I had become, um, atrophy had set in, right? So there was this imaginative, mystical atrophy that had set in that I thought if I can just get some movement going, that... Mm -hmm then objects in motion tend to what? Stay in, Stay motion, in motion, right? Uh, I didn't take a dance class, but, but I kind of put some of that there. <laughs> um, and so what I did was I started making up what are possible things that I would feel connected to the creator doing. Now, this wasn't the typical list. It wasn't, let me go plant a faith community. Let me go start a church somewhere. It was none of those type things. Uh, you guys were a part of this, and so it, it's kind of comical. It was ideas like, what if I opened a hardware store uh, near the college that that you guys attended and I worked at, and we sold, it'd be a campus bookstore slash neighborhood hardware store. And I would just love on people as they came in with their needs, whether it's students, whether it's people in the historic neighborhood next door. And so it goes from, I'm looking at a building, and, uh, and I meet this guy who later becomes a friend. Um, and he's like, well, you, why don't you, I actually have an espresso machine. Why don't you just do a coffee shop? And so somehow <laughs> I end up at the local community college business incubator with a business plan for a coffee shop. And I was like, I never wanted to open a coffee shop. It was supposed to be a hardware store. And then I would make up this plan. But, but what it was, as goofy as it was, it was movement. So it was like the person, yeah. I think of the person who's been in hibernation for 30 years, because that's what I felt like. Um, I felt like I said, I'm going to exercise. And I just discovered this VHS player and Jane Fonda workout tapes. <laughs> having no idea that P90X existed or having no idea that uh, that CrossFit existed. And so I'm doing Jane Fonda. Uh, you know, you can't see me right now, but I'm like doing the, the aerobics, 1980s aerobics. <laughs> because jazzercise. I was like, yes, jazzercise, right? And got the leg warmers on. Uh, so my leg warmers were my journal, my barren fig journal or my lectern journal. And I'm just, oh, let me jazzercise. And so I was just coming up with ideas. I'm calling the Ace Hardware franchise system. Hey, how do I get an Ace Hardware franchise? Well, you need $400,000. Oh, okay. I won't do that one. <laughs> uh, what's one that has a lower entry point, right? Uh, and so, so I was just spitballing anything and everything to get to get motion and all of a sudden I was having fun again and I was having fun with the creator because I felt like he was like all right what'd you come up with today show me what you got in the journal and I'd show him and he just lay back ah, ah you're gonna do a what espresso maker <laughs> an espresso machine you can't even pour a cup of coffee and you're gonna you know you're gonna froth milk um and so, but there was all of a sudden, and it felt like a scene from a sitcom where you've got whoever's playing the character of God, like the big Lebowski, right? Uh, like, I think maybe God looks like the big Lebowski or, or Morgan Freeman. I like Morgan Freeman as God. He's like the best um, uh, God character. But anyway, and so just going through that and all of a sudden what happened was it got me into the space. Now, here's the interesting part was all of a sudden what I started connecting the dots on was because of that view from Genesis 3 that I'm miserable, wretched, broken, I don't deserve to dream. Mm. And so all of a sudden there was this connection of, hey, you're more than worthy of a dream. Mm. And it has nothing to do with what denomination 
affiliation you have, what your job title is, what your payroll, salary, monthly deposit is. It had nothing to do with those pieces, but it had everything to do with, I just decided to be available. And being available was, was sitting there on the beach, both fingers raised in the air, how di- who are you? What kind of, are you getting your jollies on this? Because, right? And it was like, oh, now you're available. Let's talk. Because you became like a real person and not a church robot. And now add to that, right? Add to that. If, if, I, if my belief system is based on I'm created in the image of my creator, my creator is not a robot. My creator is a human being. Right? Now, that's going to mess with a lot of people's theology. That's going to mess with, <laughs> and I'm going to say, but we're made in the creator's image. And so there must be some similarities. Right? And if all of us have the creator's DNA, right? then there's an element of us that should be, should know our worthiness, our value, and, and the potential that's there for us. But it has nothing to do with how many boxes I got checked off today. It, had, it has no, no merit whatsoever that I gave 10% more than Keela did. That, mm-hmm. that I'm the better, better one in this relationship, and aren't you proud of me? It has nothing to do with my works. It has nothing to do with my performance. It has nothing to do with my talent or skills. And these conversations evolved when we did these little, unbeknownst to us at the time, with things like the Welcome Squad, where we said, it's just about you showing up. And the magic will happen from there. And so we have witnessed that firsthand. Now, we didn't know it at the time. You knew it, but you couldn't put language to it. And, and that's a whole other conversation. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's been where the magic for this uh, started for me. And uh, as an outside observer, it seems like it's only gotten more magical since, which we can get into. <laughs> yes. 